we're going to be looking at a passage from the book of Philippians. Of context, it's essentially an extract from a letter that a follower of Jesus, a guy called Paul, has written to a group of Christians in a place called Philippi. And Paul's helped found this church, so he's writing to them to send them some news, let him know that he's praying for them, tell them that the good news of Jesus is continuing to spread, to give them an update on his circumstances. He's in prison, again, and uh, to encourage them in their faith and remind them of what's true. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The words are up on the screen behind me. I'm reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 9, ESV translation, and it goes like this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got to be honest, Usually when someone tells me not to be something, I don't find it all that helpful, either in the Bible or in life, because when someone says do not be, you usually already are, and therefore them telling you not to be is just not helping the situation. Case in point, have you ever noticed in the Bible that whenever an angel appears to anybody, the first thing they, oh, the first thing they almost always say is, do not be afraid. And do you know why? Because they clearly scare the living daylights out of people, and people are very, very afraid. Or I don't know if you've had it in life, if, if you're sad and someone's like, don't be sad, and you think, oh, that's really kind, but that's not helping me not to be sad. Or the worst one, I think, don't be grumpy. Anybody, anybody going to own up to that one? And you think, oh, I am not being grumpy, I was not being grumpy. And I'm also not being kind of annoyed and irritated at you for accusing me of being something that I was not being. My point is, when we see sentences in the Bible like this, then do not be anxious, it can make us feel a bit, oh, I'm not sure that's possible, or how do I do that, or I now feel anxious that you're telling me not to be anxious. But rather than dismissing it as some impossible command, let's have a look at what the Lord has to say about it. So what does the Bible mean when it uses the word anxious? Well, it's the same word that appears in Matthew 6:25. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. You could read it as, be careful, be full of care for nothing. Don't worry about anything. And it speaks particularly regarding a distracting kind of care where your mind is drawn in different directions. And isn't that so often how anxious thoughts present themselves? You might be at work or you're in the car or you're having a conversation with someone, but actually your mind is thinking about something else and then it goes on to something else and then it goes on to something else. So whether it's big or small, it's kind of this preoccupation, this distraction from the present. And in fact, it's the same thing that Jesus says to his friend Martha. He goes to visit his friends Martha and Mary and she's trying to host him, but she gets in a bit of a flap. And she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled. You're careful, full of care about many things, but only one thing is needed. 
And Jesus isn't berating Martha here. He's not telling her off, but he's trying to open her eyes to say, I know your intentions are good. I know you're trying to do a good thing, a good thing for me, in fact, but you're worried and you're stressed out and you're distracted. I have more for you than this. And that's his message for us tonight. He's, he's not oblivious to the fact that there are situations in life that make us anxious or fearful or stressed or panicked, but he has more for us and he wants to show us a better way. Now, there is a right kind of care and concern. You know, Jesus himself showed distress. Uh, Paul himself is anxious for people's salvation. But as in Martha's case, and often in ours, there's, there's a care that is distracting, which isn't from God, and ultimately, if we dig deep, stems from a lack of trust. A 17th century minister and Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, puts it like this. There is a care of diligence, which is our duty, and consists in a wise forecast and due concern, but there is a care of diffidence and distrust, which is our sin and folly, and which only perplexes and distracts the mind. And so that's what we're being warned against this evening, that kind of distraction. So I wonder what's been perplexing or distracting you or been on your mind this week. Maybe it's your health. You know, what's the day campaign? What are the test results going to come back like? It might be your finances. It might be the end of my overdraft again. Where's the money going to come from? Sometimes it's jobs, job interviews. Am I going to fluff it up? Am I going to have a job? Am I going to be able to get a job? For some people, it's a kind of social anxiety. So what if people don't like me? What if I go to that party and then I feel trapped and I don't know how to get out of it? I'm hosting this dinner. I'm worried there's not going to be enough food. People can worry about the future. We'll ever get married. What if we can't have kids? Or a general sense of foreboding that something bad is going to happen. We can worry about the past. So is my past going to come and haunt me? Extreme hypotheticals, so things that could happen, um, but aren't necessarily likely. Um, the example I thought of was there's a spider above my bed. What if it falls in my mouth when I'm sleeping and I choke on it? And, you know, it, it can sound funny, but I'm aware that actually for many people that kind of thinking is a reality, so don't say it to mock anyone. Things we've done or said, so I made a poorly judged comment yesterday. Does my housemate now hate me? Does my colleague hate me? Things we've forgotten to do or say. I'm sure there's plenty of girls here. When you've left your straighteners on and you think, I'm going to be responsible for the house burning down because I've not switched them off. Change. Change makes a lot of people stressed out or anxious. Even good change. So starting a new job, starting university, moving house, getting married, having children, going on holiday, things that are objectively good and fun. But again, they can bring a lot of stress and worry and anxiety with them. And circumstances outside of control are controlled. So I don't know if you've ever tried to host something, maybe a barbecue at the weekend, and every two minutes you're just on the weather app, like, come on, come on, it's got to be sunny. Enlisting all of those things, I'm not trying to trigger anything in anybody. In fact, if you've ever worried about any of those things, then you're in good company. God doesn't want us to constantly live in this frame of mind, though, so he wants to show us a new way. So we're going to look at three things from the text this evening, and there are three ways that we can pursue a lifestyle of peace. Because if I had to give this message a title, I wouldn't call it how not to be anxious in three steps. I'd call it something like pathways to peace. And firstly, because I'm very aware that 
within this room or for people listening, there's going to be a broad spectrum of experiences for what these presenting feelings of anxiety are like. For some people, you experience intense but fleeting moments. For some people, it's seasons of life. I know for some of you here, actually, these kind of feelings are your constant companion. So what I'm not trying to do with these points is, is minimize any of the challenges that anybody is facing, but I do want to maximize our view of God, who is sovereign over all of these things, and who wants to and can enable us to live an overcoming lifestyle. And secondly, I'd call it pathways to peace, because how many of you know that what you focus on grows? And in this text, it speaks of anxiousness once, it speaks of peace twice, which leads me to believe that actually God wants us to learn how to live this lifestyle of peace, not how to get rid of anything remotely anxiety-inducing in our lives. So how can we pursue a lifestyle of peace? The first one, then, is give it to God. Give it to God. It sounds basic, it sounds straightforward, but it's what the text says. Do not be anxious about anything, but, or instead, by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In other words, instead of turning things over, over and over in your mind until you want to cry or you want to crawl into the covers and never come out again, tell God everything. Tell him what's on your mind. Tell him what's worrying you. Tell him what's concerning you. Tell him what you need. And the word for prayer here refers to that general broad communication with God. So asking, speaking, listening, day-to-day communication... The word supplication has a bit more urgency to it, so it's entreating God for something specifically, uh, something that you really, really need. And the idea is that we're continually presenting our request to God, so it's not a one-off, it's not just when you feel like you're in crisis, Um, it's not just about a few things, but it's about everything. Unfortunately, this is where a lot of us might experience an issue, because we feel okay coming to God with a few things or when we really, really need help, but in everything, that can seem a little bit, I don't know, time-consuming or really, really needy. And to be honest, we don't like to feel needy. It's not always that comfortable, especially in a culture and society that says that the mark of maturity is independence. So you're self-sufficient, you can do things for yourself, you don't need anybody's help. But in the kingdom of God, the mark of spiritual maturity is actually the opposite. It's recognizing that you have need. It's being dependent on God. It's, um, yeah, getting rid of this self-sufficiency and saying, actually, God, I need you, and you are the only one that can meet that need. This is why God tells us to come to him like little children, because little children are needy and they're dependent. And God's okay with that. He's the father. He's like, yeah, great, that's my job. I'll sort it out for you. Let me help you. The problem is often we don't want to be the little children. We, don't, we can't accept that. God's fine with it, and we're not so sure about it. Commentator David Guzik puts it like this. Undue care is an intrusion into an arena that belongs to God alone. It makes us the father of the household instead of us being a child. So we do ourselves a disservice when we act in a way which is essentially clinging on and refusing to give these things over to God as if it's somehow weakness or it's somehow wrong. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation with someone where they've clearly got a lot going on and someone says, well, have you prayed about it? And the response, sometimes people can feel a bit offended like that. You know, well, my prayer, it's not quite a big problem. It's not something that can be just solved by praying. But 
Prayer is powerful, and it's not just because of the words we speak, it's because of the God who hears our prayers. And you'll find that as you pray, God lifts the burdens from us. He lifts the things from us that we were never meant to carry. That's where we find the peace. And when we pray, we're told to do so with thanksgiving because thankfulness changes our perspective. And that's not a new thing. You can find any number of books or motivational speakers that will tell you, hey, every day, write down three things that you're grateful for. And it's not a wrong thing. It's because it does change our perspective. It does help us to take stock. But what this kind of practice doesn't do is give us assurance about the future. Whereas being thankful to God, declaring what's true, that's what helps to build our faith for the things that we will face ahead to wake up in the morning and say, thank you, God, that you love me, that you're for me, that you promise to be with me, that you will supply all of my needs in Christ. That's the kind of thing that will build our faith and help us get through the day. And prayer with thanksgiving really helps to protect and guard our hearts. So number one, give it to God. And the result of it, he gives us peace. And not just any peace, but the peace that surpasses all understanding. That means you can't quite comprehend it. What it doesn't say is that God will answer all your prayers exactly how you want and when you want. But what we should desire more than answer to those prayers is this kind of peace. Pastor and theologian John MacArthur puts it like this. The real challenge of Christian living is not to see if you can eliminate every uncomfortable issue in your life. The real issue of Christian living is to see if you can trust your infinitely holy, sovereign, and powerful God in the midst of every situation and have his perfect peace. Because to have his perfect peace in situations where it doesn't make sense, I think this is one of the most powerful and effective witnesses to our world. It's the most effective witness of the power of God in our lives. Earlier in this letter, Paul tells the Philippians to live a life worthy of the gospel, and that's not somehow make yourself worthy of the gospel. It's live in a way that shows that the gospel has worth, that it actually means something to your life. And so having peace when all your circumstances say you shouldn't, well, that's the kind of thing that makes people go, oh, How is that possible? How do you do that? What is it that you know? Oh, I know you're a Christian and you sometimes talk about Jesus. Is it that he actually makes a difference in your life when you need it most? I'll never forget hearing that a good friend of mine had cancer at a young age, and it was completely unexpected. But more than that, I'll never forget the first time I saw her after that cancer diagnosis. I walked into our living room and I clocked her across the room and I was just, I was completely taken aback because she was just emanating peace. And I went and spoke to her and after a few minutes I said, you just seem really peaceful. And she said, yeah, I know, I I feel it. And it's not that she had more faith than anybody else, although she's definitely a a faith-filled woman, but it's the peace of God guarding her heart and her mind in Christ. As Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So prayer and thanksgiving, it's not for God's sake, it's for our sake. It's our way that we we say to God, hey, you're God, I'm not. I'm going to hand these things over to you. And the result is he gifts us his perfect peace. Number two then, choose your train. 
choose your train. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Choose your train. Watch what you think about. Let me ask you a question. How often do you think about what you're thinking about? Because it is possible, it is possible to do. I think it's one of the defining features of us being made in the image of God is that we're not just animals, that you have a stimulus and a response, but actually there's a gap in between where we have a choice, we, we can do something about these things. When we come to Christ, the Spirit of God works in us to renew our minds, which is an amazing thing, and science has proven that you can literally rewire the pathways of a brain and renew your mind, renew your um, patterns of thinking, but God also gives us a part to play in these things as well. Take captive every thought in obedience to Christ. It's not that God will take captive all your thoughts in obedience to Christ. It's something that we need to learn to do as well. I studied French at university. So that meant I spent a year living and working in France. And for part of it, I was living in Paris, which sounds very glamorous. But I already had a friend who was living and working there, so I was really excited to see her. And that first weekend, we decided we were going to go to Versailles, which is this beautiful palace just outside of Paris. That is a lot of the alliteration, isn't it? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, so I met her at the train station, and we were talking and talking and talking, and got on the train. And then after about an hour, I was like, Rosie, do you think we're nearly there yet? We've been on the train a while. And she's like, yeah, yeah, it takes about an hour. I think it's fine. Great. 10 to 15 minutes later, the train is just starting to empty, and we're just going further and further out into the countryside. And eventually, we both just had that moment where it was like, oh, I think we, I think we just better check what, what this train is and where it's going. So we did ask someone, and he just looked at us and was like, mm -mm, like this isn't going to Versailles. You're, you're on the wrong train. So we had to get off and then go all the way back into Paris and all the way back out. And it was kind of annoying at the time, but it got me thinking, how often do we do this in life, or especially in our thought life? A thought comes into your head, you don't question where it's from, you don't question where it's going, you just run with it. And I can't tell you the number of times in my life where I've been perfectly fine, and then suddenly I feel a bit off, I feel a bit in a funk, or at worst, I'm having a complete existential crisis, or I'm in a very dark place in my mind, and I cry out, Lord, how did I get here? And God's like, oh, babe, you just got on the wrong train. <laughs> a thought came into your mind. You haven't questioned it. You haven't even questioned if it's true. You've just let it run, and now this is where we're at. And I think that is a big one for a lot of us, is that we don't question whether the thoughts in our head are true. There's a Christian writer and speaker in America that I came across a couple of years ago called Hannah, Hannah Brencher, and she talks a lot about depression and anxiety and her own journey with it. And she puts it like this. Anxiety, I've learned, is like an overzealous monopoly player, except its playing board is your brain. It wants to build houses and hotels all over your territories, your relationships, your job, your health, your spirituality. One of the hardest things to learn is that not everything anxiety tells you is true, and not, everything, not every thought that comes into your head is true. And so to be honest, I think it's kind of funny or just telling that sometimes we have these presenting feelings of anxiety, and we don't even know how we got there, we're not really sure what we were thinking to get there, or 
we can sometimes attribute it to the fact that we thought too much. You know, I'm an overthinker, I just think a lot, I have a lot of thoughts. And that might be true. And thinking is good, it's a God-given faculty. But have you ever considered that? It's not the fact that you think is the issue, it's what we're thinking about is the issue. So what are you thinking about? What are you filling your minds with? Because that's Paul's question this evening. He gives us a whole long list of things, and then he says, think about these things. What are you thinking about? What are you filling your mind with? And I'm not going to run through all of the adjectives, but the message is essentially ensure that you're thinking on things that are good and that are healthy. And we can use these words as a filter, as a guideline for the things that we read or we watch or we hear or what we talk about. Is it honorable? Is it commendable? Is it praiseworthy? Is it a good report? And I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm not talking about you must do this, you can't do this, nobody ever watch Netflix ever again. That is not what I'm saying. But it is an encouragement for us to be sensitive and aware as to how things affect us. So the fact that your friend watches one program might be fine for them, but actually for you, if you come away and you feel a bit unsettled, you feel a bit peaceless, maybe it's just a prompt to reconsider. Personally, I went through a time where I couldn't listen to secular music. I could only listen to worship music. And I didn't know why. I just knew that every time I listened to secular music, I just didn't feel that good afterwards. And I didn't have that much peace. And it just didn't feel right. So for a time, I had to cut that out. And similarly, I have to have regular periods of stepping away from social media. Because while I do think it can be a good thing, a fun thing, keep up with your friends, encourage people, be a witness in a space where a lot of people are, I also know that, and I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, after 15 minutes of scrolling, you're questioning, what am I doing with my life? You feel insecure about your body, you've clicked on a link and bought something that you can't afford. <laughs> so again, it's just to think about what we are filling ourselves with. So number two, choose your train. What are you focusing on? What are you filling yourself with? And my final point then this evening is, Number three, put it into practice. So verse nine says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Do the do, put it into practice, be obedient. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of it. Don't just listen to this message and be great or not so great, whatever you think, but actually try and put some practical things in place. And next time you're feeling anxious or worried or stressed, give those things over to God and, and wait for the peace of God to come. And it's not just things we talked about today, but it's everything in the Bible. Because when we live rightly, when we live according to the word of God, it's like a natural protection for us. That God will guard our hearts and our minds. There have been many times in my life where I've had to make decisions or do things in line with God's word, in line with things he's asked me to do. But actually, people around me, they can't understand it. They can't accept it. But what I've found is that the peace of God is still so strong, and that's because God blesses obedience. And what I'm not doing is standing here and saying, hey, I've got it all sorted. Well, most of the times that I'm stood up here, it's actually because I need to hear this message more than anybody else. So I'm basically preaching to myself, and you get to listen into it. But I take comfort from the fact that Paul says, practice these things. So it's not things that happen overnight. You know, if you want to be good at an instrument or good at sport, then you need to practice it. So practice these things. Um, you know, use this way of life over and over again until it becomes easier, until it becomes habitual, until it becomes a way of life. 
And again, it's such a powerful witness. These Philippians, they don't have a New Testament to read or to look at, but what they do have is Paul, and they watch him, and they listen to him, and they imitate him, and he clearly practices what he preaches in that sense, and it makes all the difference. So when we take these actionable steps in line with the word of God, we reap the fruit of peace. As we do these things, it says, the God of peace will be with you. Can I just get the mand up? Notice this time, it doesn't say the peace of God. It says the God of peace. What's the difference? Well, the peace of God comes from the God of peace. And what's better, the gift or knowing the giver? You see, the one thing that can really soothe anxiety and fear and stress is the assurance that it's going to be okay, that everything's going to be okay. But there's only one person who can give us that assurance, and his name is Jesus. And I love what Katie sung out, that that assurance of knowing where we're going. And to be honest, I think this whole world is looking for that kind of peace and assurance that everything is going to be okay. But there's one way to it, and that is Jesus. I said I'd call this message Pathways to Peace, but there is one pathway is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we can live a life where it's me, myself, and I, but with that comes the responsibility. We have to fix things. We carry the burdens by ourselves. Or we make peace in, in our relationship with God. We make peace with God. We come into relationship with him, and he carries the burdens for us. He does the heavy lifting for us. And to be honest, if I had to choose between the two, I know which one I'd choose. It's to know the God of peace. Later in this letter to Philippians, Paul makes this bold statement. I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content, which is massive. And again, isn't that what everybody is looking for? And it's also ridiculous because if you know anything about Paul, he's probably one of the few people who has most reason to be anxious. He, he gets shipwrecked all the time. He's in prison all the time. He's close to death all the time. But he says, whatever my situation, I'm content. And the reason is because he knows the God of peace. He knows Jesus. He knows that the God of peace will be with him. And that can be your story tonight if you don't know Jesus. So you can make peace in your relationship with God and have the assurance that whatever happens to you, he's going to be with you. He's going to be for you, not against you. And so I just want to finish just by having a simple reminder wherever you are at on this journey with God. I just want to read the scripture to you and you can just take a moment and let it sink in. But it's John 14, verse 27. And Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. But let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And that is the peace of God. That surpasses all understanding.